into the sun oh my eyes no i'm kidding we're not really staring into the sun today that is the name of this wonderful podcast that you have clicked on to listen to wherever you are today maybe you're jogging maybe you're riding in the car maybe you're sitting on the toilet we do not judge we're just glad you're listening and i'm joined here with my brother Uh, i'm john the first half of the duo yeah, and I'm Rob Gibson, the second half of the duo. And you didn't know what uh, so, to do with that toilet comment, did so, you? <laughs> so I was just <laughs> thinking maybe that's probably happened. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we won't talk too much about that. We want to be authentic today, but here we are. We're excited. Actually, this is our first uh, episode where we are doing a part duh episode. Uh, This is villainy part duh. Uh, So we we just jumped off of, it actually hasn't released yet at the time of recording here, but it will surely be up for you to listen to it before you listen to part duh. Um, But we we just finished uh, talking about um, how we villainize folks in culture and relationships and what that looks like, how we villainize anything that is other than our ideology or our culture or our understanding and how that impacts relationship and culture. And man, we just ended our conversation, Robbo, uh, feeling like we had more to talk about in terms of villainizing and how that happens in relationship. And this particular idea of empathy came up kind of at the end of our conversation. Actually, I was just listening back to it and we kind of had this one quote that stuck out to me that empathy leads to humanity. Uh, So let's just kind of launch in. I I wonder where you were at, Rob, uh, kind of in our last part of our conversation and we kind of jump in to this villain's conversation part. It it reminds me uh, oftentimes, you know, a fair amount of therapy. We might, we might, dig into what the problem is because that's often an issue is we're not we're not really clearly properly seeing what the problem is but then you know then if we're like okay we're done see you later <laughs> it's like <laughs> right well, we what do i do <laughs> what 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 should i do with this uh, with this massive problem um and so i you know we're, we're talking about you know this villainy being a massive problem and then we say empathy is the answer period see you later As i think we we should talk about well we what, what does that look like <laughs> in action maybe we have some things to say about that but then i was thinking about our, our uh our past recording, and I was thinking about the example I see with couples in relationships that I think really personifies what happens. And I think it's also happening at scale in our culture. And by say our culture, uh, you know, me and John live in the United States. And so I, you know, I'm thinking specifically about current U.S. culture right now. So I'm going to throw it out there, John, and and I want to see if you agree with me. Um, I think this is happening at scale. Uh, but I'm not sure. And so I think this might help diagnose the problem. And then from there, I, I think we have some really good inroads for talking about empathy. So here's kind of how I would envision it. So let me let me paint the picture for you. So you have, you have, you have two people who are in a close relationship and something happens to cause an injury in one of the persons. Okay. We'll, we'll call that person uh, Fred. Okay. Fred. Probably. Let so, me just give some life to this too. So Fred threw a phone at Susan's head. 
<laughs> Robbie's laughing because this sounds weird. I, I might be referencing something that happened in our past. But, <laughs> okay, sorry for interrupting your story. Fred. Okay, so 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 say something happens in the course of a relationship, and Fred's feelings uh, get hurt for some reason. Now, it could be a, just an ignorant mismatch, a miscommunication. Maybe it's like a replay of something that's happened in their past that reminds me of something that hurt them, and then it causes them pain. Okay, so what usually happens when somebody's in some emotional pain, there's a response, a very predictable response. The person in pain expresses that they're in pain. Now, one of the interesting things that happens when we're in pain is we tend to want to figure out the source of the pain and remove it. Right. So in most cases, you know, you've got something in your foot, in your shoe that's hurting your foot. You take your shoe off to look at it and you try to get rid of the thing that's causing the pain. Well, that, you know, that happens in, in relationship, but, you know, I'm expressing pain because I, I want to get rid of the thing that's causing me pain, um, but I'm also expressing it to the person who caused it because I want to be in relationship with them. So what can happen is the person who's injured will express some emotional intensity towards the person who's hurt them, okay? Now, what that usually does in the person who's observed the pain is that they they want to approach. They're like, oh, you're hurting. I want to come to you and approach you. Now, here's where things get tricky is usually the way that this pain is communicated is you did this thing that hurt me. Because remember, when we're when we're injured, we're trying to find out the source of the pain and get it to stop. Well, in the case of a relationship, it would be, you did this thing to me, okay? Now, what happens in the other person when they approach someone who's in pain that they care about, but then they hear that the other person perceives them as being a bad actor or a, someone who hurt them? Well, the natural response when you feel like you're being accused of doing something malicious when you're not is what? What do you think? What do Defense. we do? Like I'm not yes. that person. You bitch. Yes, and then I baby. grab a phone and throw it at your face. We'll have to get into that sometime. Yeah, I defend because I'm that. not that. And a lot of times vehemently I'll defend because I'm not okay. that person. What do you yes. mean? Now – in the midst of defending that I'm not that person, the thing that I'm not doing then is attending to the person's pain. So the person that got injured, when they see this defensiveness, they that reconfirms to them that you are a bad actor. You are against me because I come to you with my pain and what do you do but pretend that you didn't do it? So now you've got this mutual escalation where one person is increasingly getting to the, like entrenching in the position that you hurt me and you're not acknowledging it and you're defending against it. So that proves to me more and more that you're against me. So the person gets escalated in their pain and accusations. And the person who's defending escalates in their defensiveness of like, that's not me. And then they begin to feel some things like, this hurts me. You're hurting me because you assume that I'm trying to hurt you on purpose. And you have this mutual escalation of viewing each other instead of partners against some miscommunication that happened or some pain that happened. They become adversaries where originally they were connected. Now 
they're alienated from each other and they view, they have the belief instead that the partner loves me, they move to the belief that my partner is against me, my spouse is against me, whoever this person is, is against me. And then, I mean, from there, that's that's often where I see couples is they're, they're in this place where they feel both hurt and the other person is against them. And I've also seen families where it escalates so far to the point where you become my bitter enemy and I will, you know, we will drag each other through court. We won't care what, you know, the fact that it's causing ourselves and other people pain, it will just get worse and worse and worse to the point where I can view, I can have gone from viewing you as somebody that I love to viewing you as somebody that I hate that I'm trying to destroy. And it, 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 this process just turns over and over. And like I said, I think this happens in our personal lives. But I also think that in a sense, when we were talking last time about villainy, I think this becomes like a group phenomenon where, you know, maybe in, you know, between groups where this mutual escalation happens, where we've stopped seeing ourselves as neighbors and we could, you know, because, you know, whatever it might be, a yard sign or something, we could see somebody else as fundamentally my enemy you are trying to destroy me when perhaps that's not the case. Yeah. What do you think? I was thinking, I mean, you can scale it all the way out, even just like the political environment right now that we live in, you know, and democratic Republican issues back and forth. And, um, when you don't start with this common connectedness or humanity, it so easily becomes kind of this escalating, competing, adversarial thing that happens. And you, you just go back and forth, one-upping one another, proving that uh, well, I'm right, you're wrong, you've hurt me, and I haven't hurt you. Um, and you're against all the things that I want to do that are good, while the other party says, I'm doing all the things that are good that you don't see are good, and I'm the take out all the things that you think are good because we're adversaries. I mean, it's a, mm-hmm. the principles you kind of described connect to like you and said, we, yeah, scaling we, them out. We, yeah, we increasingly devalue each other to the point where we would say like you, you know, you are my mortal enemy. Um, and I, you know, I think as I see it, the, the thing that keeps us from like violence against each other is that we our our current form of aggression is still voting, you know, different, people into power. But as you watch it, it's just oscillating back and forth between more extreme positions on each side. Um, and it's just kind of flopping back and forth um, as opposed to uh, positioning ourselves around like, okay, we have a common humanity. We have a common shared uh, reason for peace with each other. We have some, maybe some shared values that we've forgotten, whatever it might be. And the target with couples um, around de-escalization is to, the real challenge is to mix like teaching empathy and soothing injuries while also convincing both individuals that the problem lies between them, not in the other person. Um, and once you realize the problem lies between you, then you can start to see empathy being a possibility. So, yeah, I, when you said that we de- devalue one another, I'll say one more thing to that too. Uh, the the next and most disrupt, disc- destructive kind of step of that is we devalue and then we dehumanize, and then we have freedom to do a whole other kind of set of things to someone when they're not human. You know, I, I can 
I've devalued them to the point where now I've given my, myself permission to do anything to them because they're not human. Um, and that's the real danger when someone's ideology becomes so entrenched in their identity in your mind that they're no, they cease to be a human being and they just are something that you're so opposed to that you'll do anything, and anything required to remove them from the picture. Yeah. And that's, that's the real danger of what we're talking about with villainy. But you're getting to something there, Rob. I felt you kind of bringing us to this kind of point of, okay, so we got escalation of kind of violence, escalation of relationship and adversarial kind of situation. Here's the how-to. We we really wanted to hone in on uh, this second episode, this part due of villainy, is how do we de-escalate and how do we move from dehumanizing to humanizing? And I think it's centered around this word of empathy. And I wonder mm-hmm. if it would be helpful, Robbie, just from my perspective, hearing from you, maybe we should start all the way kind of at the extreme brokenness end of these kind of situations and work our way back um, to give some maybe practical, helpful places or helpful suggestions of how do we walk it all the way back from really destructive end game problems? How can empathy begin to do its work? into bringing us back. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, and there's different levels of this brokenness. um, I wonder if it'd be interesting to kind of talk about it from from different levels. Well, yeah. And I I was thinking when you were saying that, that it's once this process has begun, it's in both people's best immediate interest to continue to perceive the person as malicious, right? Because uh, the, it's really dangerous to be wrong. Right. Mm. And so it's a very courageous act to decide, you know what, I'm going to give you a chance to be something otherwise. It's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I think of like the, you know, the, the wild west gun standoff or something, or, or, you know, and in, in maybe a, I don't know, like a matrix movie or something where there's, you know, there's guns pointed everywhere all at the same time. Yeah. And it's like the scene. Yes. Yes. Everywhere. And (laughs) somebody having the courage to say, I'm going to see this differently. I'm going to assume that we have like some sort of shared interest. And certainly when I work with couples that are on the verge of like, hey, we're here to talk about divorce. I'm like looking for, is there anything that you share? And the first thing I start with is, well, you both decided to come here. You could have done something completely different. You decided to be here. So you share something, even if it's just you're terrified of what will happen next or uh, I don't know, who knows what it is or, or you're, you know, you're worried about what it would do to the kids or uh, who knows. But looking for some element of shared humanity. Like somebody has to decide that I'm going to put it down and see you as someone who isn't out to destroy me. And I think that takes a lot of courage. Um, I don't know if I'm getting to like starting at the very end, like what do we do from there? But I think taking the courageous step to to say, I'm going to see you as something other than a villain because I would want you to do the same thing with me. And Somebody has to do it. Yeah, I think it's a, a really good practical first step, actually, wherever we are in this journey of escalation, is, is to at, at take, on, take it on as an individual. Say, okay, the, the first step that I can move towards de-escalation is finding a, a point of shared 
um, what'd you say? A shared interest, shared humanity, right? Yeah. Shared humanity. Something. And that doesn't always have to be twofold. And then sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that, that I, I, like you said, I'm only going to think about my shared humanity. If the other person reciprocates or does it simultaneously, it's like on the count of three, we're both going to think about this. It takes the courage of an individual who is tired of the endless cycle of escalation and brokenness to say, no, I'm going to choose to do something other and to begin the journey back uh, towards a de-escalation. And I think that'd be a great first step for us to kind of communicate today to our listeners is wherever you are in this journey is just choose to stop for a moment personally and say, where, where do I have shared humanity with this individual or with this, you know, this group of people, whatever it may be, where do I have shared humanity? Where might there be shared interest? And that can take the form and uh, of research that can take the form of um, listening uh, rather than talking. Um, and maybe we can kind of talk about how that moves us then into empathy. When I, when I look at shared humanity, it does something interesting because we take the person that we've worked all this time to dehumanize and villainize. Now we've, we've crossed a threshold where they become a person and all of the trajectory of, I kind of talk about this with my church in relationship to um, how God is working in our lives and using us to, to work in the world, is that many of us make the common mistake that we have this um, God into me kind of um, view of how a relationship works and that that's the only part of it. When in fact, when that's self-centric, that everything about my life is about my um, priorities and my preferences that we start from a wrong baseline. And when we can switch that and think about what is God inviting me to, what is he calling from me? What is he showing me about how I need to change all? It kind of changes the trajectory of my relationships and my relationship with God to outward rather than inward. And I see that happening here as you were kind of describing that Rob with this shift, the courage to find common humanity in someone, it changes the focus of what are they doing to me? to who are they, you know, and there's a monumental shift that happens to look outward rather than inward that I think really kind of gets at the heart of the definition of empathy anyway. And, and I think a reason we often avoid it is like we we're acting in our current self-interest. Like if I do it first, that puts me at risk. Um, And so I'm going to wait till someone else does it. Um, and the problem with that is, is if everybody operates that way, then then everybody's in the long term losing more. And so, it is in your it it is still in your self interest to take this courageous step because future you is most likely to benefit from what you did. Because if you do that, it means somebody else might also be willing to do it in response to what you did. Like kind of this mutual laying down of of arms and saying, let's, let's find another way. And so it is in your self-interest, but you're, you're fighting against your emotions because your emotions are prioritizing too. But what if this person destroys me right now? And I think when, as we think about this, you can do this from a safe distance as well. Like it, it's, it's not like advocating for if, if you're in a, you know, very toxic relationship to open yourself up to, you know, violence or verbal abuse or anything like that. I think we're speaking more towards musical mutual escalation, uh, where both people are part of the escalation, uh, you can do it from a safe distance, like John is mentioning. You know, it, it could it could mean you know I'm going to consider somebody else's perspective by doing some research. Um, 
whatever it might be. But it is in your best interest to courageously take the step for the situation where the other person will respond positively. Um, because we, we, I don't know, we, as humans, we, a lot of times we tend to respond positively to acts of good faith or kindness. Now, if you have a lot of escalation, like a couple, uh, the initial act might not be met with, uh, a lot of, uh, good faith. (laughs) (laughs) Fanfare. It might be like, oh, you're just trying to trick me. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just trying to manipulate me. Um, so it, it's got to be courageous, authentic, and determined. Um, yeah, and I think we have to remember, too, that there is an element of, of this courageous step that is vulnerable. I talk about yeah. this a lot in church, that a relation, any real relationship includes vulnerability. And the root word, I'm a word nerd, but the root yeah. word of vulnerability is vulna, the Greek word vulna, which actually means to wound. You know, so in order to have a positive relationship and growing relationship, and even in another conversation, or even a relationship with God, I have to be vulnerable. That means I there is some sense of this where I am opening myself up to the potential uh, for good, but also to the potential for wounding, and that that's scary to us. And a lot of times it comes back to bite us. But again, like you said, Ravi, I like that idea that future me. Well, take this first step. That's hard, and it takes courage, and does potentially open me up for wounding. Has far more potential to change the trajectory of a relationship, or even a culture in a world. I mean, when we, we we're talking about this kind of step back from thirty thousand feet kind of view across history, whole movements have begun because of one courageous person who is willing to stand and listen or stand and change the the perspective that they see right. in the world. One courageous person who was vulnerable right. has the potential to change the world, you know? Right. And, and to, to have the courage to say no to the right thing, right? Like uh, I'm, I can either, because there's risk either way. And I think that's sometimes our fantasy is that if I stay in my current position, my risk is low. It's like, well, no, your risk staying right where you are is the, you know, the mutually assured destruction um, that is going to be devastating. You risk that and staying right where you are. You definitely risk, like you said, vulnerability when you make a forward movement of saying, I'm going to say no to this pattern. I'm going to step out of this and I'm going to give you a chance. Um, now, as we shift to talk about empathy, I, I mentioned this last time too, giving empathy to somebody doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Um, so taking so the injury, important. yeah, taking the injury conversation, you know, I can, I can take time that, you know, this happens with kids all the time. They, they run to us and they're crying and they hurt themselves, but you saw what happened and you know that they're fine, right? You know that they're okay. The proper response to the kid that's crying when they hurt themselves isn't to say, shut up, idiot, you're fine. Is to first say, show me what happened. I care, Period. And let me, let me, let me comfort you. And then later, once that's happened, then let's sort through, okay, does this make sense? What do we do about it? Do we fix the thing that hurt you or did it actually not really hurt you? And we just redirect. We, we, that's still relevant as we get older in our relationships is we can show when, when somebody's saying that we hurt them, we can approach it, it, I'll say this differently. We find it hard to approach if we think and believe that 
showing concern means we have to agree that we're a jerk or that we're a terrible person or that we meant to hurt them or whatever. No, it doesn't have to mean that. What it can mean is I see that you're hurting. I'm going to come and approach you and ask you, tell me exactly the ways in which you're hurting. Show it to me. And, and that's the, that's the visual I would have for empathy is like, take, take this internal experience you have, use your words and perhaps your body language with tears and all those things, put it out there in front of me, do something vulnerable and share that with me. And then what I'm going to do in return is I'm going to share my response with you to that pain, not my reaction to why it's there, but my response to that pain. I'm going to tell you, here's what I'm seeing. And here's how I feel about the fact that you're in pain. Period. Yeah. I think it's so important because what, what happens at the heart of empathy is it doesn't fix, you know, necessarily or take away the things that were painful. What it does was because we have this horrible tendency as a culture and as individuals to define people rather than by their humanity, we define them by the things they do and the things that they say. So you get hurt long enough. We kind of talked about this already. You get hurt long enough by someone, you start to see all of those things that they did to you as who they are rather than the core of who they are. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think empathy is moving us towards this this change of seeing someone not for what they've done or what they believe or what they have said or what they think, but to kind of create a new baseline, right? Where we exchange, you are this fill in the blank, right? You are a big fat jerk because you're mean to me or you cheated on me or, you know, you, you did this horrible thing to me and instead see them as human, as a person. And and this is kind of an abstract idea, but I think it restores a baseline value of all people. As Christians, we make this mistake a, a whole lot in the church where we connect people's value or worth to the things they've done. Um, it, from a big mm-hmm. scale, uh, Christians across the centuries have villainized, take Muslims, for example, that all, all Muslim people have this tagline, you're Muslim, therefore you're not a good person, right? Mm-hmm. Because the the yeah. baseline is you are you know, all the things that we've seen from you know mm-hmm. Muslims who gave um, Mus- the Muslim faith a bad name throughout the centuries. You know, instead of seeing them as people, and as a Christ follower, I think this goes even one step further. That empathy empathy moves me from seeing someone for what they've done or what they've said to seeing them as who they are, and then one step further for seeing them as whose they are. One of my favorite Hebrew words from the scriptures in Deuteronomy, the Lord is talking to the Israelite people and by extension, all of all of humanity it says, you are my treasured possession. I chose you as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation set apart for my purposes. But that, that word treasured possession is the word segula. And it has this idea of like a watermark on a piece of paper. Uh, mm-hmm. If you ever had a, like you pick up a piece mm-hmm. of paper and there's a real faint symbol underneath mm-hmm. all of the writings that declares the ownership of the idea or the piece of paper that you're holding. And Sangula mm-hmm. is means treasure possession. That means there's this mark upon your life that says beyond what you've done and what you've said and how you've lived your life, underneath it all, your baseline of value is that you are his. 
So it's not about just who you are, but it's about whose you are. So I think it even goes a step further in a Jesus-following relationship where, where empathy lets me see your story, lets me remove these ideas that you are defined by these things that have hurt me and instead see your inherent value as a person. And for me, that is like totally transformative, especially for people that we are in super adversarial relationship with or, or they've really become so villainized to the point that we've dehumanized them how valuable to, to see a baseline of worth and value that changes the way I think about someone at kind of this ground level. Now, uh, now like a, a devil's advocate side would say, you know, John, and I'll respond to it too. Um, you know, John, if, if, if I do that, then that lets them off the hook for the ways in which they've hurt me. And that's unacceptable you know, because then there would be no justice. And I, I think that warrants attention, right? And my response to that would be something like, if, if you decide to remain in relationship with someone, um, or, or feel a calling or a, um, like a responsibility or something, then your actual best approach to getting in pursuing a reckoning with the ways in which you have been hurt is to do this first, right? Because um, when, when I feel that you are fundamentally against me and my position is defending me and my identity as a person, then I, I don't have the capacity to engage with practical logistics because I'm dealing with the, the core assault on who I am as a person. And so, if I instead can uh, approach you as, like you said, as inherently valuable and I can give you empathy, then from that position, you might be willing to participate with me in the ways in which maybe you've, you've done something as well, right? Like I, I think of, you know, in the case that I mentioned at the beginning, you know, if, if, if the person who's hurt the other person can show empathy and help the person feel like, okay, I'm still, I'm loved by you and you, we are okay fundamentally. Then later a conversation can happen of like, well, you know, like here's, you know, you said, you know, because I didn't call you and I was late again to the thing that we're doing that deeply hurt you. Uh, can, can we talk about what happened? Um, because I understand because of our history, that would really hurt you again. And I want to let you know some of the details around what happened this time, um, that, that, it, that it wasn't malicious, this thing specifically happened or whatever it might be. Like we, we can get to a place where the person is willing to consider their own part in it or their own responsibility or the ways in which they could change if we've communicated like, hey, <clears throat> I'm not fundamentally against you. And so, be, because to make those changes, we have to both be at the table and believe that we're at the table together. Yeah. Something I was thinking about too, as you're talking there, Rob, that makes this complex is that I think sometimes we also make the mistake that, um, and this goes back to the idea of who takes the first courageous step, but why do we take the step? You know, I think sometimes we think mm -hmm. that when I value someone else or I take or I start down this empathetic journey, we have this expectation that the other person will reciprocate and what happens when they don't, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I think it also kind of brings to the surface this reality of 
um, you know, I have my pain or how you've hurt me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we also miss, though, the reality of that that pain is present. But there's also this other destructive stuff underneath it of like unresolved conflict and unforgiveness um, and kind of the festering wounds that I think are far more destructive than the initial pain of needing resolution to that pain somehow. And the idea that I'm never going to get it from the person who hurt me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, I think a lot of times we come to this troubling reality that I'm never going to get resolution, especially if you've done counseling with, with folks and you get to the place where you just recognize that there's nothing they can do to resolve the thing that they did to me, you know, and, and mm-hmm. maybe even at its core kind of foundational level, they aren't even equipped to resolve the well, pain that they did to me. Well, sometimes you know? what, what we need is for it to never have happened. And which is impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. go back unless you all, unless you've discovered and you go see Dr. Rob, if he has, no. if you can time travel and go no. back and make something that happened, not have happened. I mean, no. that's like miraculous. I think, yeah. I think <laughs> Elon Musk work. might, Elon Musk Elon might be the Musk. closest. So. But none of us can understand his, you know, the way he names his children and writings and stuff. So it's probably in some kind of ancient script, you know, like a time travel mystery. Uh, but yeah, this, so it brings me to another faith concept, right? Is where where then if if I cho- why do I choose empathy? Am I is my motive for empathy because it's I'm trying to turn empathy again for my own motives, or is it leading me towards a, a pathway again of a change of trajectory where I'm not interested in empathy because of something I think I need to get? I, maybe this is a phase of working through some of these complex things. But. Yeah, well that that wouldn't be empathy. That would be manipulation, right? Like right. Empathy. So I think by that its comes up at some nature. point. Yes, empathy right. by its nature would be is I'm I'm going to give this to you in the belief that it's just good to do, not ah. in the belief that I'm going to get something back. Yeah, and the, but that's a fine line. And I think sometimes we really I think sometimes we can begin on the road to empathy with good motives, mm-hmm. but then subconsciously kind of uh, subvert that process because we just inherently in our broken humanness want some value for us or some perceived value for ourselves or reciprocation. Mm-hmm. But I, I, mm-hmm. I think that's why in this faith concept too, uh, I think empathy leads to grace, mm-hmm. you know, where we, it replaces grace with justice, you know, where mm-hmm. empathy leads me to a place where I see you, I see your value. And I recognize that my healing from the pain you've done to me, doesn't necessarily come from you, whether I get an apology or not. My true healing from the woundedness that I have comes from somewhere else, which is a conversation for a whole nother day. But mm-hmm. then that healing sets me free to act out of grace rather than in retributive justice where mm-hmm. I need well, you to get what you do. Yes. You know? and, and it is an act of faith, not just spiritually, but psychologically, because the act of faith is, is this is good to do because I can believe that as I do this more and more in my world, I will get things back. I, be, because behaving this way with people will like will generate positive responses in some places, not in all places. That's why I think it's an act of faith, is in some situations, it's a belief that maybe eventually this will turn the tide in this relationship, but it's possible that it never will, or it will never lead to the repair that is needed or whatever. But the faith is, is that if I, if I extend this out enough and consistently enough, I will I will receive back from people who are on the same journey of doing the very same thing, right? But that's that's an act of faith because I don't know exactly where that's coming from or who it's coming from. 
it's a major step of faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a challenge point in this too, as a, for you listener out there, and maybe after this, Rob, too, let's try to kind of quantify and clarify some of these steps towards ent- empathy and relationships, some real practical yeah. ways that if you're in a circumstance of escalating, you know, conflict, villainy in your relationships, or maybe you just feel estranged from your spouse, you know, you're living in the same house and you're just not married because you're living with your adversary, you know, and you just feel despair because you you can't find a way forward. I mean, I just want to give us maybe a few practical things that someone can do in a really dark circumstance, or maybe someone can uh, enter into when they're just at the beginning stages of that conflict. Mm. But before we go there, I want to just offer a challenge point. I'm a pastor. Like it's in me. I just want to say, here's my challenge to you wherever in whatever circumstance that you're in is that maybe the thing that you want isn't what's best for you. In a lot of stages in relationships, we, we so easily confuse like resolution will happen if this happens and we get confused between, between what we want or what we desire and what's truly best for us. And that's a challenging question that we all kind of have to face wherever, wherever you're at in, you know, whatever context of a villainy relation or villainized relationship you're in is, and maybe that's the first step is just to stop and say, you know, is this continuing because I'm hell bent on getting this thing or resolution that I want rather than answering the question, what's best for me in this situation? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we need help in recognizing what's best. Sometimes we need relationships like with a counselor, a psychiatrist. Sometimes we need relationships with a pastor to help us see what's best. Sometimes we need to lean into relationship with God because we can't see what's best. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, Our view is clouded by uh, needing answers to our pain rather than I've been talking the last few weeks at church about how God offers us temporary relief and permanent solution. And that how so often in our, in our journeys of life, we just stop at temporary relief. You know, a lot of times in relationships, they, per- per- they perpetuate because I just want you to fix this thing right here rather than seeking the the permanent solution. Sorry, I'm tangenting, but um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just some good stuff. I think mm. there in there there's a challenge that we need to own individually when you take the route of empathy. It's just to answer that question, you know, are you perpetuating your own circumstance because you don't you're not willing to see what maybe is best for you rather than what you want. But how can we get practical, mm. man? I, I think we need to end yes. this yes. kind of this podcast. Yeah. I think we'll be back to villainy. Sure. It's a gigantic sure. conversation, yeah. but let's so get practical. A few, th- a few things. Um, one of them is, uh, so steel manning. So most of the time in arguments, we straw man, which is we take the weakest part of the other person's position Mm. and we blast it down. You know, it's the straw man that's easily knocked down. Steel manning is instead, uh, taking some time to consider the, the, the strongest part of the other person's position. And really consider it. That that's one way to do empathy. I think on like a like a broader scale with with people that you don't have intimate relationship with, right? And I was thinking like scaling, like you know, I'm I'm having trouble empathizing with the other side of the political aisle or whatever. Well, well, take some time to steel man their argument yourself. Um, to to really consider the strengths of the other position. 
so that you might be able to begin to have some empathy for why they may have landed into that position. I think that's that's one strategy for uh, for finding your way to empathy. Um, another practical one is, uh, I would say, just simply in your own words, not just repeating back what the other person says, but in your own words, trying to use your own language to describe exactly what the other person is experiencing without opinions about why or how it happened or how it shouldn't have happened. Just simply, here's my own words for what I think you're experiencing right now, period. Um, and, and it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a bit like when you try to do it yourself for your own things, when you're conveying how you feel to someone else, you're trying to capture how you're feeling and share it with them. Well, it's just that same thing in reverse. Just use your imagination and try to put to words how you think they're feeling. That's a real practical step to empathy. Yeah, I love it. Something I say uh, to folks a lot of times is that gratitude changes your attitude. Uh, and sometimes in relationships, what mm-hmm. we need is just a, a change of perspective. And it's an exercise I invite couples to do mm-hmm. sometimes when they're struggling is like, let's set aside all the pain and fighting and, uh, you know, all the villainy <laughs> for a second. Mm-hmm. And let's just, and usually I'd have them do it individually. Sometimes you may even just need to do this personally without your spouse or significant other, or the person that you're in conflict with, um, because you can only own your part of it, right? You can't make the other person do anything. But it's just to get a piece of paper out and write write down things that you're grateful for about the other person, you know, about mm-hmm. their their way of life, about their relationship with you. It may only be one or two things, but be, it's somewhere to start because in my experience that gratitude le- changes our attitude. It leads us to be able to practice empathy. And empathy is ab- absolutely something that we have to practice too. We haven't really talked mm-hmm. about that much. Not yeah. just something that you're all of a sudden good at or great at. It, yeah. It takes, it takes work. time and practice. Yeah. And I would add a reaction I had when you were sharing that is just adding, you know, a caveat, remembering that, you know, there are some situations for which this is not relevant. You know, if, yeah. if you're in a violently abusive relationship or absolutely you know, like emotionally abusive relationship, that's, you know, uh, now it, it gets into gray areas where, like you said, we might not be seeing things clearly, but there's certainly a category of relationships where you are actually with somebody who is behaving like the villain. And it might not be your position to reach out to them with empathy. It might be somebody else's. Okay. And so I want to give that caveat that that certainly can be the case, but when it's not, yes, like engaging in what do I value about this other person outside of these things? How do I give some space to that to remind me, oh, we have some shared humanity. We have some shared reason for connecting with each other. Yeah, yeah and this, that works for ideology too, and our mm-hmm. cultural issues we got going on. Politics, man. It, what if? What if? Imagine the world if we would all for a day stop the land blasting politically all over mm-hmm. social media and villainizing mm-hmm. people around us, and yep. instead took a whole day just to get out a piece of paper and maybe you're a Republican, and today you're going to write down all of the things you're grateful for about the Democratic position. I guarantee you could do it. You could find some things and Mm -hmm. it goes a long way in bridging this gap of moving people from dehumanized positions to humanized positions and seeing their inherent value. Yes. Um, Practice it, listener, wherever you find yourself. Yeah. Wherever you find yourself. (laughs) You can do a mental exercise, but I think another great exercise is just get to know your neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, You can start with just 
uh, basic empathy, not about deep issues, but about like, I know I've had this in my own life where, you know, neighbors of very different, you know, political persuasions and we're sharing life around, you know, landscaping and we're laughing about life. And then we discover that we see some things very much differently, but we also are friends, you know, because we, we've, we, we found a position to see each other as humans and we can see, oh, okay, maybe there's some reasons why the person has landed in this particular position. And so that's another one I would say is neighboring, mm. like just, it, it goes along with your gratitude, which is connect for other reasons. Um, let's, yes, this injury needs some addressing and it needs attention and, uh, it doesn't have to be the only thing that me and my neighbor talk about. Yeah, I think it, even one more step further practical with what Robbie just mm -hmm. said this week. So here's our podcast challenge for all you listeners today, wherever you are on the toilet, in the car, on the jog, walking the dog. Here's your podcast challenge. Staring. Here's how you can stare into the sun this week. Don't really do that because you'll hurt your eyes. But here's how you can stare into the sun symbolically. L if, hear one person's story this week that you didn't already know. A waitress. Mm. Maybe, a, maybe the Chipotle guy making this stuff. Find a way to ask a question about someone to hear a little bit of their story. And here's mm -hmm. the really cool thing you're going to find out is that people love to tell their story. It is not hard to get someone to talk about themselves. So mm -hmm. learn how to ask. And that's part of the journey of being an empathetic person, of practicing that. Is learn how to ask questions. But this week, find one circumstance or situation to hear a part of someone and not their whole life story. I'm not talking about that. Just ask a question to hear a little bit of someone's story and listen to it and begin the journey of being an, a, a person of empathy and really doing your part to change the world. And I think that's mm. what we're most excited about here yeah, on the baby. podcast. Changing yes. the world one conversation yes. at a time. <laughs> well, Beautiful. man, this is woo. I'm excited Beautiful. and all this talk yes. about toilets. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's been yes. so great to talk with it's you, been good to be. Yeah, it's been good to be with you. And you, listener, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, remind you again, please, if you like what you hear, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button on whatever your, your app is. Uh, share it with people. Tell people about it at your church or at, you know, at, your, at your university or seminary or wherever you're listening from. And uh, Thank you for joining us. We continue to uh, plan to uh, eventually get this stuff in video form so you can actually see our lovely glowing faces as we talk. Um, and uh, yeah, continue to join us. Uh, reach out to us, staring into the sun podcast at gmail.com or on socials. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but until next time, we really appreciate you joining us. We will again together stare into the sun. Grace and peace. Find ourselves.